Our God and Father, Lord, we praise you today. We glorify you and we thank you that you indeed are God in heaven. And that, Lord, you have created everything by your own will and for your own pleasure. We thank you that you have so graciously given us life and breath and everything that we have. And we ask, God, that you would now give us insight into your gospel, the mystery that had been kept hidden for ages past, which is now revealed through our Lord Jesus and explained by his apostles. We pray, O God, that you would help us to see Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the glorious good tidings of great joy that you have given to mankind. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us faith to respond. God, that you would cause us to hate sin and to love you with all that is within us and to conform our lives to your holy will. We thank you for all that you have done for us. And we thank you for the privilege that we have to gather here in this place and to freely proclaim your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we've been talking about the gospel and in the context of the gospel, talking about the doctrine of justification. And in talking about justification, we first began to look at the Protestant Reformation and we talked about the, the uh, issues that were at the heart of the Reformation and what the controversy really was there. And then that helped us to get a focus on what the real issue is that is in the heart of the gospel, and that is the issue of justification. And so, if you will, we've been talking about what justification is, and we did that by looking um, at one of the questions that is in the Westminster Shorter and Larger Catechism, which is question number 32, which asks the question, what is justification? And we've kind of been looking at the answer that's provided there in the catechism as kind of a format for understanding what justification is. And so with that, we've been talking about the different elements that are involved in justification. Now, let me kind of summarize what all that I just said. If you will, the heart of the gospel is the doctrine of justification. And the doctrine of justification is something that the New Testament speaks very comprehensively about, and it speaks very clearly about the different elements that are involved in justification because it's not just one simple thing. Although it is the simple act of God whereby he declares us righteous on the basis of the righteousness of Christ, it kind of has some more elements to it than just a simple declaration because of the basis that he is declaring us righteous on. And so that basis is, if you will, the person and the work of Jesus Christ and, and specifically what Christ has done in order to provide the means whereby God can then declare us righteous. Okay? And so we've been talking about what that is. The, we've been talking about the elements of justification and, and, if you will, what is justification. And in answer to that question, the Westminster Divines answered this way. Justification is an act of God's free grace, 
wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. And so, if you will, they give kind of a clear and concise answer to that. But what we did was we kind of broke that answer down into four different sections so that we could examine each one according to the Scripture. And, of course, the first was justification as an act of God's free grace. And so we talked about the fact that it's something God does. Justification is an act of God. And, and, uh, and so if, if God does it, it's therefore perfect, right? And so if God is the one that's going to justify, he's going to justify perfectly. Amen? Because everything God does is perfect. Well, more than that, it, it is an act of God's free grace. And so if you will, it's gratuitously given. God gives justification freely. It's a gift. Justification is something that God gives. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you can buy. It's something that you receive that God gives freely. Okay? And so, uh, if you will, you can't earn it. You can't merit it. It's free. It's a free gift. Justification is an act of God's free, gracious nature. God is giving out of the overflow of His goodness. And He's giving freely. Okay? But we, we, we went on to describe wherein he pardons all of our sins. And if you will, we were talking about pardon. Last week we spent quite a bit of time talking about the fact that God, in justification, pardons all of our sins. And when we talked about pardon, we talked about what pardon really is. And that pardon is a commuting of the consequences of sin. It is a free declaration whereby the penalty or the consequences for sin are freely commuted away from us so that we are no longer due to pay them. So if you will, the way we understand pardon is a guy's in prison and somebody in authority, in power, comes along and says, I'm going to give you a pardon, therefore your consequences, your, your sentence for your crime is being commuted and you are therefore free, right? No longer held in bondage to those consequences. And that's what a pardon is, and that's what justification does for us, okay? When God declares us righteous, He pardons all of our sins. He pardons the consequences of sin, which is death, and gives us instead life. He gives us eternal life. And we go free from the bondage of sin and death. Are you with me? We go free from the consequences that our sin has brought upon us. It's a, it's a way in which God pardons all of our sins. And then we began to talk about this last week. And accepts us as righteous in his sight. Okay? Now, you remember that justification is a legal matter. It's something that happens according to law. And this law is happening in the tribunal of the judge, who is God. Okay? And so justification in this biblical sense is a, is a legal proceeding. Okay? It's a, <clears throat> it's something that takes place in God's courtroom, where God is pictured as the judge, His law is pictured as the basis on which we are judged, and 
if you will, the outcome of justification is a legal proceeding and a legal declaration that is uh, laid down by the authority who is God, okay? And so it's something you know, always have to remember about justification. It's a legal thing. It's a legal declaration. And, and you, you, you've been appealed, if you will, to the highest court, to the highest authority. And once that highest authority, who is God, lays down a declaration, it's final. There is finality in justification. And that's why the, the uh, divines write and they say, whereby he pardons all of our sins. He didn't just pardon some of our sins or the sins we already committed. We were justified in Christ before the foundation of the world. Okay, and so, if you will, it, it is a real and a full satisfaction of divine justice when God declares us righteous. It's a full satisfaction. And it's, it's the pardoning of all of our sins. And so, if you will, um, when we talk about the fact that God accepts us as righteous in his sight, it does not necessarily mean, and certainly does not mean, that we have an inherent righteousness in ourselves. But instead, we're being accepted as righteous in his sight on the basis of what Christ has done. Okay? So, in, in God's removing and pardoning our sins, okay, he then accepts us as righteous in his sight because we no longer have any reproach. Because the penalty and the consequences for sin have been commuted. Okay? And furthermore, they go on and they state here that he accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. Okay? And so what happens is, is that not only does he pardon all of our sins, but he takes the perfect righteous life of Christ wherein the law was completely and fulfilling and, and completely and fully fulfilled. Okay, in other words, Jesus' perfect life of obedience fulfilled the law of God perfectly. And what God does is he takes that perfect fulfillment of the law and he credits it to our account. And this we call imputation, okay? It, it, it is whereby God accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. And so... Not only is he canceling the debt of our sin by pardoning our sins, but he's also crediting the perfect righteousness of Christ to our account so that he actually sees us as having fulfilled the law in Christ. Are you with me? Because you remember there's two kinds of sin. Okay? There's a kind of sin where we violate the commandments of God and we transgress the things that God has told us not to do. Right? And those impose upon us what we've called penal sanctions, right? They impose upon us penalties. Well, then there's another kind of sin where we fail to do the things that God has commanded us to do. Okay? And so, if you will, there, there are these kind of positive and negative sins. Okay? Well, you see, Christ has, has dealt with those fully. He's, he's canceled the penalties or the penal sanctions that are due to us by paying the price demanded of those penalties in his body through death, okay? And then also, 
He has credited to us a righteousness wherein he has completely fulfilled all the preceptive requirements of the law in his life. And so, not only is our sin debt paid, but Christ's righteousness is accounted or credited to us as our righteousness. Okay? And so we have to understand, the righteousness that we possess through faith in Jesus Christ is not our own righteousness. It's a foreign righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ himself. Amen? Everybody got that? Okay, all right. So then, this can be very clearly seen in the scripture, the bottom of page 102. This righteousness is the righteousness that God both requires and provides in Christ. And so 1 Corinthians 1.30 would say, But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. And so here uh, Paul is writing and saying that Christ has become to us our righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. Not just the work of Christ, but the person of Jesus himself is the righteousness that we possess before God. And that's why uh, when answering the question, what is justification, they would make a statement like this, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. You see, it's Christ's righteousness that is being credited to us through faith. Romans 5.19 speaks about this very clearly where... Paul writes and he says, For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. Right? Who's that one man? Adam. Adam. Okay, so through Adam's disobedience we all became sinners. And therefore we all sinned. Right? But look what he goes on to say. Even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Now who's the one? Jesus. Through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. So you see, it's the obedience of Christ which is the righteousness of the many. And of course, who are the many? The Christians, those who believe upon Christ and enter into Christ. Amen? Okay, and so, uh, if you will, it's through the obedience of the one that the many are made righteous. Or 2 Corinthians 5.21 speaks very clearly to this issue, where Paul writes and he says, He made him who knew no sin, which means that he had a perfectly righteous life, right? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, there's an exchange in justification. There's an exchange, if you will, in the doctrine of imputation. Imputation is this, okay? Our sins are imputed to Christ and he's punished for them. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us and we're reconciled to God through his righteousness. Okay? It's referred to as the great exchange. Right? So Christ gets our sin, we get his righteousness through faith. Okay? For all who believe. And this is exactly what 2 Corinthians 5.21 is saying. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay? Now, we're going to talk about that in detail here which is really going to be the basis of justification. We're going to understand 
What, what does this exchange mean? What does this imputation thing really mean? How did it happen? And what does the Bible say about it? Okay, we're going to talk about that. But uh, in kind of moving through the end of our definition here, what is justification? Because of Christ's obedience and fulfillment of the law, we are now reckoned or counted as righteous in God's sight. Our righteousness is in him. You understand 2 Corinthians 5.21? That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Why? Because He is our righteousness. Okay? It goes on, um, <clears throat> our righteousness is in Him and through Him. Romans 5.19 says that it's through the obedience of the one that the many are made righteous. Right? So, our righteousness is in Him and through Him. Or if you will... It's in his person because of the work that he did. Remember? The person and the work of Jesus. This is the message of the gospel. The person and the work of Jesus. The two cannot be divorced. They cannot be separated. They are, in fact, one. Okay? Jesus is as Jesus does. And Jesus does as Jesus is. And in the gospel, we receive him. Okay? And so, if you will... Um, Christ is counted as our righteousness, which is what we read there in 1 Corinthians 1.30. Jesus has become to us the righteousness of God. This righteousness that we possess before God then is not our own inherent righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ himself. So understand this very simple concept about the gospel and about justification. When you get justified before God, it's not on the basis of our own righteousness before God. It is on the basis of Christ's righteousness. And family, Christ's righteousness is perfect in the sight of God. Amen? So you don't have to worry about being accepted by God. You're accepted by God if you have faith in Jesus because you receive the righteousness of Jesus through that faith. <clears throat> Are you with me? You understand? And that reconciliation, that justification, that thing that Christ has done for us is perfect. And that's why I keep telling you, you can rest. You can rest in Jesus. You can cease from your labor. You can cease from always striving to have to please God. Why? Because God is pleased with Christ and you are in Him. Okay? Relax. You can rest. Okay? You don't have to walk on your knees to Santa Fe. Are you with me? You don't have to be tormented with deeds of penance for the rest of your life. Okay? Relax. God is pleased with Christ, and you are in Him. Okay? Enough of all that religion, in that sense. Okay? Christ is your righteousness. And this is the whole of it, right here. What are you trusting in to be reconciled to God? Are you trusting in the fact that you're a good person? Well, guess what? That's the bad news of the gospel. You're not a good person. On the contrary, right? If you got what you deserved, you'd be toast. Right? 
Are you trusting in, in, in okay, now I got saved and now I've, I've kind of been enlightened as to, you know, what God really requires and I've seen the example of Jesus and how good of a person he was and so now that I understand all that stuff, God's holding me responsible to go out and carry it out. Okay, so how many of you have been perfectly righteous since the day you believed? Are you with me? So are you trusting in your obedience henceforth from the day you believed to be saved? No, what are you trusting in? You're trusting in Christ, who is the righteousness of God. Okay? And in Him the Father is well pleased. Are you with me? That is the glorious good news of the gospel. You don't have to stack up. Okay? You don't stack up by nature. But Christ does. Are you with me? And that's why He is the Lord, our righteousness. You follow me? That's why faith has an object. The object is Christ. And that's why we are accepted by God. We are accepted in His sight as righteous only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. You with me? And that is a foreign righteousness. It's not our righteousness. It's God's righteousness in Christ that becomes ours by faith. You with me? Now, lest you think I'm just kind of building that whole thing up, Philippians 3, 9, and 10 makes it crystal clear. That I may be found in Him, Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Amen? Amen. Now, family, if you've been sitting in this class, we have said this a hundred ways to Sunday. Would you agree? Okay? And we have seen it over and over again in the Scripture. It's abundantly clear to us. Amen? So you have no excuse then for not resting. Be anxious for nothing, says Paul. Right? Rejoice always, says Paul. Why? Because Christ is my righteousness. I'm accepted in the Beloved because of Him. Amen? Amen. See how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Right? Why are all these things ours? Because of Christ. He's the object of our faith. Okay? Listen, we don't stack up. And we don't have to stack up. We have to believe. Which is what Jesus told us. This is the work of God. To believe on the one that he sent. Amen? You with me? Now, you see how important faith is to the gospel? Right? Because it's through that believing that we become justified in Christ. And again, this is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. Okay? We are trusting in the righteousness of a foreign righteousness. That's not our own. Whereas religion always demands of mankind that we stack up, that we add up, that we do our best, that we, you know, we finally persevere to the end through our own strength and merits. Right? which is so often a perversion of the gospel in in so-called Christianity, right? 
But family, that's not it at all. That's certainly not the way the Bible describes justification. Okay? We are justified and declared righteous by God on the merits of Christ. And it's through his merits alone that we possess that righteousness because he himself is the righteousness of God. Amen? And so they also include this phrase, and received by faith. You see, justification is by faith. It, it doesn't come any other way. Because it's, it's an object. Christ's righteousness is an object that is to be received. It's that gift that we receive. Okay? It's not something that we can earn. It's not something we can buy. It's not something we can achieve. It's not something we can conjure up. Okay? It's, it's something that we trust in. Okay? We got this fundamental problem between us and God. We sinned and God's justice has been violated. Therefore, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? And, and so how we receive that free gift is simply by trusting, by believing, right? By trusting in and relying upon Jesus for our righteousness before God. Amen? Okay, so then, this righteousness then becomes ours by simply trusting in or looking to Christ for it. This believing or trusting is what the Bible calls faith. It is through this faith that this righteousness is imputed or reckoned to us. Okay, and these are words that, that are often used in the scripture. Imputed, okay, or reckoned. Or credited. Okay? When we talk about the righteousness of Christ. Because it's not our own. It's Christ's righteousness. So it gets reckoned to us. It gets credited to us. It gets imputed to us. These are all words meaning the same basic thing. Okay? It's something that's outside of us that's given to us. And so Romans 4, 5 would say, But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Now what's Paul saying? He's saying, to the guy that's not trusting in his own good works to fulfill the law of God, but is instead believing in, excuse me, him who justifies the ungodly, right? So he's looking to God for his righteousness, right? To that man, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. So, Paul's saying, not to the guy who trusts in his ability to do good works and earn God's favor, but to the guy that believes that God justifies. To that man, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. You understand? And so here's the point. Justification happens by faith. It doesn't happen by the guy that works for it. See, if you work for righteousness, then God has to pay you righteousness, right? The problem is you already blew it. You already blew your righteousness when you sinned. Therefore, if after your first sin, you were perfectly righteous the rest of your life, that, that first sin completely marred your righteousness and it's no longer even attainable. Are you with me? Because you have reproach, you have blame, you have guilt, you have consequence. Okay? 
So you can't even work for it even if you want to because you already blew it. Are you with me? Okay? So it's important to understand that you can't work for it. And this is what Paul is saying very clearly. But the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Okay? And he says there in Romans 3, 21 through 24, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Okay? So this righteousness of God is, as the scripture says, through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. This very simple concept is portrayed very clearly in the scripture and provides for us through the merits of Christ both righteousness, right standing with God, and justification, declared righteous in his sight. And so here's the point. When you believe on Christ, you receive Christ. And what is Christ? He is the manifest righteousness of God. So when you trust in Christ for righteousness, that's exactly what you get. Are you with me? Okay. And so the Bible would make statements like this. Romans 10.4 For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You see that? Christ is the end of the law. What does that mean? He's the fulfillment of it. He's its, its chief end. Okay? The whole law pointed to who? And Christ came and fulfilled what? Therefore, the law has met its end in Christ. Christ is the end of the law. doesn't mean that we, we no longer are subject to the law in the sense of it's God's character and his nature. Of course we are. Okay? Of course, when we come to Christ, we come in repentance from sin. We hate our sin. We try to conform our life to the law of God. Right? It, it doesn't mean you don't ever have to carry out the commandments of God anymore. It's not saying that. It's saying Christ is the end of the law. He's the fulfillment of it. He's what it all pointed to. And he came and he sewed it all up. He made it full. Okay? He fully carried it out. He's the end of it. Okay? And if you will, he's the fulfillment of all of the prophetic utterances that are in it. They were all pointing to him. The whole sacrificial system was pointing at what? The cross. Right? The sacrifice of atonement that God provided, right? And so when he came and he, he pr provided that sacrifice of atonement, it was once for all, right? It was the completion of the priesthood and all the elements of the law were all fulfilled in Jesus. He is the great high priest. He's come, he's given his blood, and, and that was a, a culmination of everything that the law was pointing to so that now the law was fully met in Christ. Amen? Christ is the end of the law. For who? For all those who believe. Romans 10.4 Christ is the end of the law, listen, for righteousness to all those who believe. Okay? <clears throat> Does God expect us to completely fulfill His law? Absolutely He does. 
And the only way we can do it is in Christ. Are you with me? We can't carry it out. It's never going to happen by our own works. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Right? But that the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Amen? Jesus Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all those who believe. Amen? And Romans 3.28 says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So how is a man justified? By faith. Amen? Understand? That's really clear in the scripture, isn't it? Crystal clear. How could we miss that boat? Are you with me? I mean, if you were really looking to the scripture to figure out how justification happens, is that hard? I mean, isn't it really clear? Yes, it's crystal clear. Okay. So then, uh, to kind of get a little bit more, if you will, fuller sense of, of what justification is, I wanted to point you to a couple of statements that are in the confession, in some of the confessions, that, that kind of describe and talk about what justification is in the sight of God. And then we're going to look some more at what the Bible has to say about it and about some of these different elements. So, justification in the confessions. For a bit more insight, consider the profound wording of some statements of justification from both the Westminster Confession of Faith and also the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. And just for a little background, if you will, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, if you will, is simply just a Baptist version of the Westminster. They actually took the Westminster, which which is, um, if you will, kind of a more Reformed or Presbyterian um, uh, view, because the Anglican Church or the Church of England at that time, where the Westminster divines uh, were a part of the Church of England, they were more Reformed, more kind of a Presbyterian um, uh, background than were the Baptists, okay? And, of course, the main division there is just the doctrine of baptism, Okay, and it's basically a difference between uh, a reformed covenantal view of of salvation versus a more baptistic view of salvation. Okay, so in other words, the reform would baptize infants. The Baptist would say, no, you have to be a grown consenting adult and be dunked. You with me? Okay, so the only real differences there are are uh, are there in in the doctrines of baptism. So both of these confessions really are identical. In fact, these sections I'm going to read are worded identical in both of these different confessions. Both the Westminster and the 1689 Baptist Confession read identically. These confessions provide a rich learning experience and excellent fodder for family Bible study and discussion. And right there I want to stop just for a minute and I want to tell you that you don't have any excuse as a father not to sit down with your wife and your kids and find some rich, glorious gospel material to go over with your family. Because all you need is a copy of one of these confessions. And let me tell you, there's more stuff in there for you to discuss and more scripture references in there for you to look up and understand and a learning thing that's all provided for you right there. Not only that, they go a step further and give you catechisms. And there are several different 
catechisms that are really, really good. Not just uh, the Westminster, you know, there's others. There's the Heidelberg, and there's, there's many, many other uh, catechisms, okay, which actually give you questions and answers and scripture references. And if you will, it's a whole kind of a Bible lesson on the fundamentals of the Christian faith for you. You can sit down, and you can teach your family the Bible. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. All you have to do is be able to read along with your family. Okay, and I'm telling you, tell me this is not rich fodder for a family Bible study. Uh, Number one, statement on justification from the Westminster. Those whom God effectually calleth, he also freely justifieth, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins, and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for the Christ's sake alone, not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing Christ's active obedience unto the whole law and passive obedience in his death for their whole and sole righteousness." They receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it is the gift of God. Amen? Now, is that a mouthful about justification or what? Does that describe justification? You with me? Is that not rich fodder for a Bible study? Yeah? It's amazing. I mean, every two words is just truth jumping all out of the page at us, right? You with me? You can find on, on the Internet, you can find uh, these statements given with all the list of scriptures down below that give the, uh, the exact wording from the scripture on each of these little phrases. It's a glorious thing to have. How about number two? Faith... Thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness is the alone instrument of justification. You see that? Faith is the instrument, they say, of justification. Remember how we talked about faith is how justification is appropriated? We were saying faith is the way that justification is applied to us. Well, here they call it the instrument. And look, it's the alone instrument. Right? How do you receive justification? By faith alone. By faith alone. It's the alone instrument of justification, yet it is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces, and is no dead faith, but worketh by love. Okay, so here they're going to make a statement about faith being the instrument of justification, and look how they describe it. They don't just say, It's just about believing, right? But they say, look, when you have this faith, it's accompanied with all the graces of God in salvation. Right? So you don't just get justification. Good night. You get the Holy Spirit. Right? Or should I say, the Holy Spirit is what's given you the faith. Because we understand, right, that faith is the gift of God, the gift that comes in regeneration. Okay, People believe because God has given them faith to believe. They then employ that, and if you will, the result of that is justification. But in receiving that gift of faith, they, by, by, the first thing is, is that the very nature of faith itself is repentant. Faith is repentant 
Faith is a, a humble uh, a mourning over sin and embracing of Christ as our righteousness, right? Faith is a recognition that we have offended the holy God and that we need to be saved. Faith is a recognition that Jesus is that Savior and it's looking to Him and trusting in Him for that righteousness, right? And so if you will, all these things are bound up in faith. This mourning over sin, this attitude of repentance and brokenness, those are all part of faith. And when God gives you that faith, He gives you a brokenness over sin. He give, He grants you repentance, right? That's the language of Scripture. He grants us repentance, it's a gift from God, right? For by grace have you been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, right? God gives us that faith. And in that faith, listen, in that faith, family, we receive all of the manifold blessings of Christ, right? We get joy unspeakable and full of glory, right? We get peace with God. Amen? We, we, we get the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. That, when that Holy Spirit comes to live in us, family, He gives us all these graces. And they all come to us through Christ and through faith in Christ. So that, that faith is no dead faith, Right? And here's what they say, but worketh by love. In other words, faith proves its reality by love for God and love for its neighbor. Right? It's not a dead faith, because faith, faith without works is, is what? Dead. But the real kind of faith, the kind of faith that saves, is a living faith. It's alive, right? It's alive with what? Love for God and love for neighbor. Right? Okay. Number three, they say, Christ by his obedience and death did fully discharge the debt of all. Now, they're going to start talking here about the basis of justification, okay? They're going to start talking about the mechanics of what Jesus did. Okay, look. Christ by his obedience and death did fully discharge the debt of all. And did by the sacrifice of himself in the blood of his cross, undergoing in their stead the penalty due unto them, make a proper, real, and full satisfaction of God's justice in their behalf. Let me tell you something. The, the, the sacrifice of Christ was appropriate for the consequences of sin. How do we know that? Because it's God who planned it. It's God who came and became incarnate. And it's God who gave his life on the tree to reconcile us to himself according to his own divine requirements. Are you with me? It's entirely proper. It's appropriate. It's the exact satisfaction that he required. Amen? And it's real. <laughs> It's real, family. I mean, we don't have to look around very far to see that the consequences of sin are real. Amen? Just turn on the evening news. Right? Or just examine your own heart and mind for a little while. Right? The consequences of sin are real. But let me tell you, the only satisfaction of divine justice 
that ever existed in the history of mankind is the cross of Jesus Christ at Calvary. It's the only real implement of reconciliation to God. There's no other. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Are you with me? The, 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 the atonement of Christ is the only way for any man or woman to be reconciled to God. Period. There's no other way. It is the real thing. Are you with me? And it is a full satisfaction to God's justice in their behalf. Okay? This is what I keep telling you. It's the work of God. It's perfect. It's full. It's complete. It's sufficient. Right? Nothing else needs to be done. Believe. Right? Believe with true biblical faith. Right? Which means you will repent of your sins. Which means you will love God. Which means you will love your neighbor. Right? Those are, those are just the products of believing. Okay? But believing is the only thing that you do, and even that you do by the power of God given to you in regeneration, which we call faith. Amen? You with me? You got to cease from all your own labor. You got to give up on you and trust in Him. You with me? Yet inasmuch as He has given by the Father for them and in His obedience and satisfaction accepted in their stead and both freely, not for anything in them, their justification is only of free grace that both the exact justice and the rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. Now that is a mouthful. But what it's saying is, God did more than one thing at the cross. (laughs) Right? Let me tell you, that is the most glorious thing that ever happened in the history of the world. Okay? And it is the thing that is going to be held up and glorified in the annals of heaven forever and ever and ever, world without end, we will be singing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Amen? Amen. Because in that, both the exact justice and the rich grace of God were fully glorified in the justification of sinners. Right? Not not only did God justify us and make us righteous, but he glorified his free grace because there isn't any other way for us to get it except to freely accept it and for him to freely give it. Amen? You with me? And oh, how much scripture has to say about that. But if you will, there's a lot there to talk about over dinner time. Okay? You with me? There's a lot more content there than in our American sitcoms. (laughs) I I can see I'm touching a nerve now. That was my intent. Consider your nerves officially touched. (laughs) Okay, so then let's talk about the basis of justification. The basis of justification. 
But how and on what basis can God pardon freely? How is this justice of God actually met if we do not pay the penalty for our own sins? This is an important question to which the scripture says much and gives clear answers. As we have discussed, justification is a legal term describing the act whereby God declares us righteous based on the merits of Christ. This justification is a complete work of God whereby he fully meets all the requirements of divine justice and then on that basis declares the sinner righteous in this work of God. <clears throat> so here's what we're saying is that is that God does these things where he's meeting all the requirements of divine justice. How, how can God take me a sinner and justify me? How can he do that? Because I'm not worthy of justification. Are you with me? And if he's going to mete out justice, somehow the penalty, the consequences for my sin has to be actually paid for. Are you with me? And this is why, family, the cross is so central. The cross is everything. The cross means everything. Take away the cross. How can you possibly be reconciled to God? Are you with me? How, how are the, 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 the requirements of divine justice going to be met? You with me? How can a gospel preacher say he's a gospel preacher if he doesn't mention the cross and the blood and the sacrifice? Are you with me? That's central to the whole message. Right? Well, in this work, God satisfies and appeases the divine requirements of justice. And that we call propitiation. Okay? And he completely removes the guilt of our sins. That we call expiation. He then credits the righteousness and merit of Christ to the believer. That we call imputation. And he restores relationship and right standing with, with himself. That we call reconciliation. Okay? It is clear from Scripture that in the death of Christ upon the cross, that God's wrath because of sin has been satisfied by Christ's payment of death. Okay, so here's what you have to think about. In the law, the law says, if you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Okay? You transgress God's command, and the wages of that is death. Okay? Well, guess what? We did it. Adam did it. He made us all sinners, and then we all sinned. Okay? We can't blame Adam because we all sinned too. Right? You with me? And so, not only that, but if you were in Adam's shoes, you would have done the same thing. Okay? So, the point is is, is that... Um, um, the, the wage of sin is death. That is God's decree. In the day you eat of the tree, you shall surely die because the wages of sin is death. And that's why we've been dying ever since. Are you with me? But that death that we see, that physical death, is really only a foreshadowing of what death truly is. Amen. Right? Because what happened in that death? Right? The day they ate of that tree, their fellowship with God was broken. And they were shut out from his presence. Okay? Which is what death really is. A spiritual death, family, is being shut out from the presence of God forever. Okay? 
And of course, they didn't know these things. They didn't have the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't understand and know what these terrible consequences were in their fullness. All they knew was they had one command, one law, right? And they couldn't even keep that, much less the 640 that Moses wrote down for us that kind of explained the whole show for us, right? Are you with me? So, but the, the point is, is that when we talk about what Christ has done, okay, he's paid that penalty. He's made the satisfaction of that debt, okay? There is a real meeting of the divine requirement or consequence of sin, which is death, in the body of Jesus and in his dying on the cross. The reason being is that he isn't there dying for his own sins, Therefore, the value of his death is worthy to cover all sin. Because he's perfectly righteous, he can therefore die as a substitute for sin in its totality. Okay? It's infinite in its value. The death of Christ is infinite in its ability to atone for sin. Because he's perfectly righteous. Okay? <laughs> right, so can you suffer more than Christ suffered? Are you with me? Can there, is there an additional penalty that needs to be paid? Or is Christ's death sufficient? Right? And of course there's a lot of different ways and a lot of false religions that focus on a lot of manifold ways that we add to the righteousness of Christ, right? But we know the sufficiency of the atonement is that it is perfectly sufficient. It's a complete, it's a proper, real, and full satisfaction of the justice of God. Amen? Okay. And so, <clears throat> this we call propitiation. Okay? That long Bible word that nobody can pronounce. Propitiation is Christ meeting the penalty of sin. Okay? Christ um, satisfying God's wrath towards sin. That's what propitiation is. Because Jesus was without sin, he was qualified to pay the debt for all sin by his death. He died as a substitute or in the place of sinners and bore the wrath of God himself, not dying for his own sins, but for the sins of all who would trust in him. This sacrifice of atonement, that is, the death of Christ, affected a real and fundamental change in our relationship to God by taking our place and bearing the guilt of our sins as an offering to appease the holy wrath of God. Okay? So here's the thing you got to remember. It's God that needs to be propitiated. God is the one who has anger towards sin. God is the one who's been transgressed, and it's his justice that has consequences for that sin. Okay? So somebody's got to take care of God. <laughs> okay? We don't get propitiated in propitiation. God gets propitiated. Propitiation is toward God. It's from the cross toward God on our behalf. Okay? It's Jesus standing in the gap, getting in between us and God as a mediator. Okay? But he doesn't just get in there and blow the whistle and say, now you people behave here. You with me? God forbid. It's Jesus getting in the middle and actually bearing the guilt and the consequences of our sin in his own body on the tree. Okay? 
He's paying the penalty for us in our place. It's a vicarious thing that he does. It's in our stead. It's a sacrifice of himself for us. Okay? That's why Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, listen, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Okay? To make a satisfaction to God for the sins of the people. Okay? Well, we're going to knock off there, and we'll pick up next week. We'll talk about the basis for justification And uh, let's pray. God, our Father, we we thank you that you accept us as righteous in your sight. That we are accepted by you, God. Not for our own righteousness, but for only the righteousness of Jesus imputed to us. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see the beauty of this truth. And that, God, that we would know and understand and believe that Jesus is the real and full satisfaction of your justice because of our sin. And that in that, Lord, we could come to him and find rest for our souls. God, that we would there rejoice in the glorious thing that Jesus has done and that we would take that cup of salvation and drink it in. And God, that we would just enjoy and relish in the glorious love that you have expressed to us in Christ. I pray that these things would be our treasure and that his blood would indeed be precious to us, God. And so, Lord, we honor you and we bless you for this mystery. We honor you and we bless you for this good news of the gospel. And I pray, Father, that you would make it more and more real to us every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.